Okay, welcome to Power Pivots, the podcast where we explore the stories behind the fundamental career shifts and changes that make all the difference. I'm your host, I go by Hatu, and today we are joined by... Austin Taylor. Thanks for having me, Hatu. My man, thank you so much for joining us. I'm really excited to have you. Yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So... I like to start the show by asking people about their PowerPoints, essentially PowerPoints. There's three facts about you, three like words or phrases that help us understand who you are. So for you, what are your PowerPoints, Austin? My PowerPoints, the top three, I think that come up a lot, either how I view myself or how people talk about me are definitely level-headed. I'd also say focus is probably one of them. And we'll throw empathetic in there too. Okay. All right. Cool. Explain a little bit more about why you think those fit you. Sure. Yeah. So I've come from an athletic background, very competitive. I played a lot of sports as a kid, but predominantly football as I got older. And I think in those situations, you know, the high pressure, high energy, you don't want to get lost in the chaos. So having that competitive fire, but having it be focused and being able to be calm while channeling that energy, you know, I, I see a lot of benefit in, in my career now. So I think that that's a lot of it. But the, the empathetic part, as you're going through, whether you're doing presentations or, you know, I guess in games specifically, which we'll talk about later, viewing the player perspective, you have to be able to put yourself in someone's shoes and understand what it is they care about so that you can deliver a good product or even just connect with them and understand what they're upset about or happy about. Right. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. That's very good. We always hear that the story is told in hindsight and hindsight is 2020. So from hindsight right now, tell me your hindsight story. Yeah. So I alluded to it a little bit. You know, I, I played a lot of sports growing up and you know, obviously was studying hard. And when I got to high school, I knew I wanted to go to good academic school. And it just so happened that Football helped take me to the next level in terms of getting noticed by some of these colleges, and it opened the door to the Ivy League for me. So you know, I ended up going to Harvard, playing football. College. Yes, sir. Yeah, <laughs> big inks. Job of the eighth bomb early. <laughs> uh, so, you know, that was a, a huge you know, blessing. My family was just over the moon that that was the, the caliber of school that, you know, a lot of people dream about going to. So being able to land that really set me up for a lot of the successes down the road. I, you know, studied statistics, I stayed focused on my grades and not just sports. And upon graduation, I knew I wanted to go in some sort of analytical field. You know, I think a lot of us, want to have everything figured out right away. And it's like, all right, I could be an analyst somewhere and then eventually I can you know, make a path and eventually power to this. We're going to talk about oh. my first job out of school was working for Hewlett Packard. I think a lot of people think of the laptops or printers. I was in their server division doing product strategy and it wasn't quite what I wanted to do. You know, it was good work. It was an amazing opportunity, but it wasn't quite aligned with you know, some of my passions. So, you know, I think a lot of folks start to think about their next career jump. You know, a lot of us, you know, I'd say millennials or will stay in careers shorter than our parents did. So even for me, you know, this was, I think about a year in, I was already looking at changes and I happened to have a friend from undergrad who worked at the Boston Consulting Group recruit me to the Dallas office. So did that. And as a consultant, I worked in a lot of industries, you know, grocery, clothing, traditional retail, tech media, telecom, kind of the jack of all trades. It really helped own some of the, the like more generalist skills, things like building Excel models, building PowerPoint slides, those communication skills, just like really getting fast and sharp at those. And then over the course of a year, year and a half, I started feeling that burnout. 
frankly, it got to the point, and this is, you know, if we're getting into the pivot part of it, you know, my performance started suffering. You know, I wasn't happy, you know, worked a lot of long weeks, long nights. And it got to the point where, you know, one of the you know, talent managers was like, maybe consulting is not for you. And, you know, I think it's a blow to the ego to think, oh, I'm doing something and someone's telling me I'm not good at it or I'm not the right fit, despite, you know, all the work that I put in or all the things I did to get to that point. For folks who aren't familiar with management consulting, there's, you know, kind of this unspoken upper out type of culture where around the two year mark, you either go to business school and then come back and, you know, you're promoted to consultant or whatever the terminology is, or you stay and you get promoted or you start looking to pivot into industry. I think talking about networks, you know, a lot of these consulting firms are partnered with all sorts and sizes of companies across the U.S. or even around the world. And because of those relationships, sometimes you go work for one of those companies after the let's say you go work for Under Armour and you know you get to see what that company's run like you know you get to work on a certain division and maybe you decide it's like oh this is a good exit opportunity you know that happens all the time with consultants so you know at this one and a half year mark I was thinking about business school I was thinking about exit opportunities and it got accelerated because it's a performance conversation. But I definitely felt sorry for myself for a little bit. But then I was like, let me pick up these pieces and really get to where I want to be. You know, I, I felt like it was a time where I had a lot of agency. I'd done a lot of the right things. You know, I had Harvard on the resume. Now I have Austin Consulting Group on the resume. Let me see where I can write my ticket. In that moment, the core pillar of my job search was I want to work somewhere where I believe in the product that I'm passionate about. And so the two big buckets that that came down to were gaming and fitness. So I had companies like Nike, Fitbit, Under Armour, Rogue, you know, the people who make barbells. Like, let me just see what I can do here. And gaming, of course, we all know the big names of Blizzard, Activision, Rockstar, Bethesda even, and curating my lists and everything. And ultimately, I benefited from my network again. There was another consultant who was looking to leave, had been through the interview process with Blizzard, and he ended up getting an offer at a different company. He left the process, but gave them my name and said, hey, you're the other gamer in the office. I think you'd be great at this role. And that's how I got my foot in the industry working at Blizzard back in 2017. That's dope. There's so many different things that I got from that story that are just helpful. First of all, your ability to understand heteronormicity and want to continue down that path of statistics is beyond me. Anytime I take a statistics class, I'm like, I could never do this. So <laughs> kudos to you on that. Kudos to you. But I but on a serious note, though, the aspect of just being able to utilize your network, right? I think a lot of times folks will see some of these schools or some of these companies and they'll view them as like, ah, they're good just because brand recognition. But a lot of it is networking, right? Like, because truth be told, being there is not easy. There are easier options that you could have pursued, maybe like more pleasurable options, but being able to utilize that afterwards to either go up or go out, like you mentioned, is definitely a big thing. Yeah, I feel like networking is always like a bit of a touchy subject. I'm sure we all know the LinkedIn experience where you encounter someone who just adds everybody on LinkedIn and it feels a bit inauthentic or more of a chore than anything. And I definitely fall in that camp. I'm probably less proactive about networking than a lot of people would assume about me. Um, and part of that's privilege, right? Like I've been in spaces where the network is very powerful. Some of my undergraduate classmates from Harvard have gone on to do amazing things. And I just know them as someone I would have beers with on a Saturday, right? Correct. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
So it's like, yeah, I didn't have to do a lot of the hard work that, you know, someone from, you know, a lesser known part of the world or, you know, a less prestigious company, you know, they might have to grind a little bit harder to be intentional about those relationships. What I will say is there's a level of authenticity I always want to feel when I am networking with someone. And to use the BCG example, I just let people know, like, I'm pretty nerdy. Like, I love playing video games. I talked about building computers on the weekend. Because of that, someone knows this is who Austin is. Like, this is what he's about and what actually he's passionate about. So, of course, he's going to be at the top of my list when I talk to Blizzard. Like, I'm not just going to throw that away because this is also my friend and then someone that I connected. So... I think that's like the biggest piece of networking is show people who you are and then the rest of kind of falls into place. That leads perfectly actually into my next point is just letting the passion drive you. I have so many of these conversations and it seems like when folks are able to get to the point where their passion drives them in the career trajectory, that's when things really start to hop, right? Yeah. Before it's like a mismatch and you know it's a mismatch, but it's like, hey man, listen, I got to pay rent. Like <laughs> I got this grinded out. Yeah. You don't have that luxury, but then when you're able to find out how you can make what pays your bills align with what you're passionate about, that's when things really start to go well. Yeah. That's always a double-edged sword too, where, you know, like with games, you know, I, I go to work and I'm working on games and I go home and I want to play games. Yeah. And, you know, as that line blurs, if I have a bad day at work, does that mean I'm going to have a bad day at home too? Because... Now League of Legends is making me feel some type of way. So mm -hmm. there, there's a level of like separation of church and state I try and preserve. Yeah. So that games as work and games as a passion still has like a thin divider. Um, mm. But I do like to leverage that passion to amplify my work. That makes a lot of sense. That's really helpful. Well, I wanted to talk a little bit more about your pivot. I like to usually approach this from a what was it? Why did you do it? And like, how did you do it? standpoint, but you have an interesting case here because you've done a few different pivots from an industry standpoint and then an industry and function standpoint. You want to talk about those, like just tell me a little more about like what those were, why you made the certain changes and then how you did. Yeah, I think looking at the industry pivot, so going from consulting into gaming, I think a lot of it was just like building up a skill set and then making my way once inside the industry, figuring out like how to apply those skills. So being able to model things very rapidly in Excel, build compelling presentations, knowing how to tailor how I communicate to a specific audience, that is useful everywhere. Kind of like statistics, like being a good analyst, I can analyze groceries, you know, for Kroger and like, you know, their stock fulfillment, or I could look at player data like I do on League of Legends. So building up like my toolkit and then being able to show like, hey, this is the value I bring to your company really made that pivot easy. You know, if we think about I'm sure people have seen Wolf of Wall Street where the guy's like, sell me this pen. Like that's the skill set, like being able to apply it to any. So that really helped a lot. Once inside the industry, I think some of it is just kind of out of your own control. You know, businesses change and evolve over time. Their needs change and evolve over time. So when I got into Blizzard, it was for a finance role. Historically, they had been just like kind of generic finance. If you think about managing a P&L, you know, doing forecasting, things like that. They had a new emerging business need of wanting to have more product-oriented finance. So like very revenue-focused. But if you think about, hey, we could sell you this car in a game for $10. It's like, okay, yeah, we could do that. But is that the right price point? Are we launching this at the right time? 
Should it be bundled with something else? Like they weren't asking those questions at that time. So they wanted to bring in more analysts to help justify some of these business decisions so that games like World of Warcraft that have been around for over a decade, closer to two at this point, they can continue to do so because it's just more and more competitive over time. Because of these evolving business needs, I went from being just, you know, just, I do air quotes here, just a financial analyst to kind of like a product strategist. And as, you know, World of Warcraft launches expansions, like I get to go through that life cycle, kind of hang my hat on these things. And then I moved over to Overwatch, which was slightly more product focused, you know, still revenue oriented, but you know, kind of a different side of the coin. And so going through that on a different game, building up my skill set further, you just get these accolades. And that's when I kind of within the industry, my next big pivot happened where Riot came up and you know, it was literally a LinkedIn message saying, Hey, we have this, you know, revenue strategy role, your skill set looks applicable. So again, like the toolkit is there and they had the accolades because, you know, at this point on my LinkedIn and resume is Harvard, Boston Consulting Group, Blizzard, which had World of Warcraft and Overwatch, all these big names are starting to jump out where, yeah. you know, as a recruiter, I'm sure that they're just like looking for some of these buzzwords, looking for these people sure. who had these big bets and won. So, you know, once I got to Riot, it kind of, you know, did that same process of came in as a revenue strategist and, you know, as our product needs evolved over time. The you know, League of Legends is now above this decade old mark. They moved me from, you know, strategic advisory is what we called it, into the production department. So now I'm going from purely financial, you know, PL focus to what is the player experience? Like, how are we delivering these products? And yeah, they have revenue implications, but actually being focused on the building aspect of it. So, you know, I just, you know, I don't want to be stagnant. I have to learn these new skills, but it's less of, hey, I want to be a producer to, oh, right, needs me to be a producer and I need to rise to that need. Right. No, that makes a lot of sense. You mentioned how like people obviously have signaling theory based on the stuff that you've done mm -hmm. for someone who may not have that what would you say are some resources that you can think of that could help them with building out that ability to model right or that ability to be able to uh say like hey listen i understand how to like manage a pnl what are some of the transferable skills that you think that people could really lean on if they're looking to do something similar or some resources that they can use to build out that skills yeah i think Part of it is just like learning opportunities where that doesn't exist in your current role. When I was at Hewlett Packard, I did this a lot where, you know, they expressed a need of, hey, we have this product portfolio and we need to figure out how certain products map to certain customers. So if you think, hey, this type of server is good for at home use and this type of server is good for like a big Fortune 500 company and there's like everything in between, you know, we need to enable a sales rep to figure out what that is. So rather than just writing a word doc or like talking to people. I wanted to say like, oh, this is something that we can document and use over time. So I built an Excel model. Part of it was Googling. It's like, how do I do this dropdown window? And it's like, okay, there's plenty of resources on the internet, on YouTube and whatever to say, okay, if you want to make this a short list of like ABC, here's what you do. So I started like doing that and thinking of like what, again, like that empathy part that I talked about at the beginning understanding what my customers needs were in this case it was you know, people within the company and trying to as i'd say future proof it 
So how do I make a piece of documentation that meets needs and will be long lasting and it's flexible enough, but also dummy proof. Like I don't want someone to break this thing after I leave it. So I think it's just the way you identify it, it, it can vary, but I think it's just like that willingness to step into a space where no one else is kind of creating or innovating there. And then the resource part is, you know, we're fortunate where everybody's doing really cool stuff like on the internet you know i've watched tons of youtube videos for how i do parts of my job and i think a lot of engineers <laughs> can relate you know engineers is like all right i need to write this block of code but I, i'm getting this error and so i was like oh yeah i fixed that like six months ago and it's like yeah like that's great you know you don't have to be this 100 percent encyclopedia of knowledge we're all like kind of drawing inspiration from stuff and it applies creatively too don't be scared to just like hit that Google search sometimes and like, yeah, like nine times out of 10, you might not find it. But that one time you do pull on that thread and see how far it takes you. I think what you just said there is super, super critical because I think a lot of times folks will focus on being at company X or being in position Y is what's important, but it's really about the skill set. YouTube and just Googling, going on forums and things of that nature is a lot of times, like even when you're in those positions, how you learn how to do the job, right? Like getting hired for the job doesn't always necessarily mean that you know how to do everything that they want you to do, but being able to be resourceful enough to figure out like, hey, this is what I need to do my job and finding those answers, that's what makes a big difference, right? Being able to really jump on that opportunity when it's given to you. Yeah. What would you say has made your power pivot so crucial? Uh, we talked about the passion part a lot early on. I wanted to work in games. I, you know, I thought about going to business school. And once I got into games, I said, no, I don't need that anymore. So really just <laughs> doubling down on it, I guess, is a piece of it. But it's also being honest with myself and being really guess, loyal to myself, too. You know, like when Riot had messaged me about, hey, do you want this role? I voiced my concern. I said, hey, this is what I'm unhappy and unhappy with in my current role. What's going to be different about this? You know, I think that falls under this umbrella of when you're applying to a job or interviewing at a job, making sure that you are advocating for yourself. Because if you really think simplistically about it, you are a stranger talking to another stranger. And all that they have to go off of is a piece of paper. Being able to say, I need to brag on myself because it's not bragging if it's true. I need to be able to point to all of these things. And then once they see all the accolades, you know, they're interviewing you just as much as you're interviewing them. They're trying to say, hey, Riot is a great company. You should come work here. Here's all the cool stuff. And then you're telling them, hey, I'm Austin Taylor. Here's why you want to hire me. And here's all the cool stuff. But then you also need to pick at, well, hey, Austin, we need to know, like, how good are your math skills? I'm going to put you through these tests. So why shouldn't you feel like, hey, I'm very passionate about diversity. Like, what do you got going on in that space? There needs to be that, call it boldness almost, to say like, no, like, I need my needs met because I know you need headcount. Like I know the yeah. now being on the other side and like being in production, it's like, we just don't have enough people to do certain stuff. So it's like, yeah, we need to hire somebody. And that person needs to understand like their worth in that scenario of they want me for a reason. So let me make sure I get what I need out of this too. Absolutely. And as someone who's a recruiter, the biggest questions I always ask people are why are you leaving your current role? And then what are you looking for in your next one? So yeah. having that nailed down with the passion and knowing exactly what you've liked and disliked about where you are or have been really helps that conversation a lot. When I talk mm -hmm. to people and they're like, mm, I don't know, I'm like, mm, I'm not convinced either, right? Mm -hmm. But if you tell me like, hey, listen, I like this, 
I like this. I don't like this. By the way, I see that you guys are doing that, so I think it could be a great fit. Then I'm like, hmm, tell me more. Yeah. The other aspect of what you said also is like that boldness is super important because a lot of times, obviously, you have to do it with discretion, but folks who come in there and are willing to advocate for themselves and really talk about their accomplishments and what they can do end up putting themselves leagues ahead mm -hmm. of folks who are like a little more like timid or like telling you like, oh, that's on my resume, right? Like you can see it on my resume. Well, no, tell me about it. We're having yeah. this conversation. I'm, I've read over your resume and frankly, on average, we read over them in seven seconds, right? Yeah. So tell me more, like help me understand it, bring it to life. Those are definitely really helpful points, not just from a pivot standpoint, but from a recruiting standpoint overall. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, to get really specific about pivots, it is that malleability and like curiosity, I guess is, is probably a piece of it. You know, you don't want to fixate on where you are. Like you're never going to be the best analyst of all time. Like there's always room for growth and stuff, but no, I just had this conversation with a manager recently where he's like, you are really good at this specific skill set. I don't want you to burn out. I don't want you to feel like you're plateauing or getting diminishing returns. So like if we can get you exposure to this adjacent skill set, not only does that make your base skills better, but like you are now more valuable because we can put you more places. You know, if you use the sports metaphor, like you're the utility player. Like we can put you at yeah. wide receiver, but we can put you at quarterback because you can throw and run and do all this stuff. Yeah. Like that just makes your personal brand. Like people know you as someone who can do all this stuff and your value because you're actually doing it. You know, if you're willing to be a team player and you know, flex a little bit, it will be uncomfortable. But if you're operating from a foundation of trust where they're only going to put you somewhere where they want you to succeed, it's like, great, okay, I have this like grace period to like get up to speed and learn how to do you know, advanced calculus if that's what the need is. But they know that like over time I will get there. And if I'm not like they're invested in my success, so I need to raise my hand, ask for help, do all those things. So I think that's part of pivoting too is recognizing it's not going to be easy at first because that's the point of a pivot. You are changing something, but through that change comes growth. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. You said so many great things, really. <laughs> I, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. It's, it's great. If you had to give yourself advice from a pre-pivot standpoint and a post-pivot standpoint, what advice would you Looking back, it's like be a better advocate for yourself. A lot of times like you have faith in you know, the systems that are in place, whether it's like, you know, HR review process, promotion windows and things like that. But I don't think that early enough, I raised my hand to say, Hey, I'm not getting my needs met, you know, in terms of professional development and things like that. Now, like I, you know, love doing stuff like this, where I can say the times where I was bold and the time that was quite frankly, a little bit arrogant, because I know that like that sets off the right alarm bells. Whenever things were really bad, I'm thinking specifically of like, some of the days in consulting where I'm working 90 hour weeks and staying up at till 4am working on PowerPoint slides, like this shouldn't feel normal. Like this shouldn't be a, okay. and if it is, if that's the expectation, we can have that talk and navigate it. But I don't, I wasn't even doing that. So I think that's probably the big one for me. I think, you know, looking at, you know, some of the growth beyond then it's a matter of just like being intentional about where I want to go. I'm still really struggling with what my long-term career looks like. You know, I've made all of these like steps along the way, but you know, I know we all get met with it. Where do you see yourself in five years? Or where do you see, what, like, what's your end goal? What's your forever role? 
And so many times I just answer, I don't know. You know, I'm not expecting to have a specific answer of like, oh, I want to be the CFO. Like, I don't think that's necessarily what I want to do, but, you know, figuring out the elements of the things that I like and having the conversations with people who can help guide me. Like, oh, I really like the product aspect of my role. I like making stuff. I like thinking as a player. It's like, okay, well, now that you said that, the roles went from like 5,000 things to 500. Like, okay, how do we keep chipping away? So now I have like a more focused effort on well, the trajectory of my career versus just, you know, like you said, the, well, I don't know, like read my resume and you tell me. It's like, no, I want to be an active participant in that. Advocating for yourself and then also making sure that you're an active participant in your own career journey is so critical. And whenever I talk to friends and they ask me about career advice, by default, obviously, like that's what I tell them. I'm just like, what do you want? Like, it's, mm -hmm. it's about you. Your career is about you. You have to be selfish about it to a certain extent. Like, what do you want? You know when you're doing something and you're like, oh, I love this. And you also know when you're doing something, you're like, I can't stand this at all whatsoever. Yeah. So, you know, being able to be honest with yourself, if you have to write those things down and go back and look at it on a monthly, quarterly basis, then do that. But when you're trying to put the story together, it's clear when people have put some thought into what really speaks to them, as opposed to those who are kind of just being thrown left or right based on kind of like where they're recruited to. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely like, there are some moments where you don't have the bandwidth to do that. And I understand, like, yeah. I feel like, you know, a leaf just blowing down the river and it's like, all right, I got like, got to pay the rent. I got to do all these things. And I'll like, eventually like it'll work out, but there will come a point where you have to like stop and like assess the situation. Like, Hey, two years have gone by. Is this where I want to be? Is it, am I actually happy? Am I feeling fulfilled? Am I energized by these things? Or like, are all those questions important to me? Do I need these things from work? Or am I, am I okay with it just being a job? Because frankly, I'm very fortunate. I love games and I work in games, but some people, yeah. you know, they might work for a company where it's like, yeah, it's just a job and that's okay too. Um, but it goes back to assessing like what those needs are and where they're being met. Speaking of games, like, what are your thoughts on the industry right now? Like, where do you, where do you see gaming right now? Where do you think it's going? Just some general insight from you. Yeah, it's. I feel like we're definitely at an inflection point of sorts um, for two very specific reasons. The first is like generational turnover, as I like to think about it. So millennials were the first generation to basically grow up with games like games were introduced you know call it like 80s roughly so that was like part way through our parents generation like oh yeah like i have an atari it's like cool like this is new but as an adult almost for us like we grew up with the internet we grew up with games we don't really like we remember our early transition to that but we don't really know a world that much without it but now this next generation called you know gen z specifically we're teaching our kids games like we're putting that like I'm sure we've seen the videos of like a three-year-old playing Fortnite on an iPad. That's, that's normal. So now with this second generation, you know, being very familiar with the games and like, you know, content creation, all this stuff, there's going to be an explosion in this like user base. And it's just going to be like cemented how important it is. It's not as nascent as it was in the past. I think because of that is my second point is there's a lot of money flowing into games, you know, before you know, people talk about the early League of Legends tournaments that were like held in someone's basement or like in some you know, hotel lobby, whatever. And now you see these like sold out stadiums all around the world for 
you know, whatever championship of whatever game that you, that you play. So people notice that type of stuff, like private equity firms, like all these investment firms, like getting esports teams or, you know, helping, you know, some of these new startup companies that get off the ground. I think that part is still very early. So I see like a lot of learning happen, like needing to happen instead of just like, oh, this game sounds cool. Here's a hundred million dollars. Like people will get more and more critical about what success metrics are and like how to identify winners and losers in the space. Um, but for right now, I think people are kind of salivating at, you know, Fortnite success, League of Legends success, and not just success in terms of like, wow, they made this much money in a year. They've been making this much money for a very long time. Like, yeah. you know, I think one of the the cool charts that I've seen in my time in the industry is if you look at a movie release, you know, you know Creed 3 just came out. And you, you probably, if you could plot their revenue, like there's a huge spike opening weekend. And then it kind of just like dribbles out over time. And then it rotates out of theater, goes to streaming, whatever. Games, they're almost the opposite where like it might start slow and then it just kind of explodes. And then it just sustains, like it just stays high. You know, if I'm thinking about specifically WoW and League, you know, some of the older games and in their spaces, they've just been making this much money for like... Yeah a decade straight and that there's not many products like that. So that is extremely attractive to people outside the industry. That attractiveness to people outside the industry and the money flowing in, do you think that that could potentially have a negative effect on the production of games or like the future of how games are going? Or do you think that it'll be, it'll be fine? I think it could have a positive effect, you know, speaking from a diversity angle, like it could enable creators that wouldn't have had access to resources or opportunities, right? Like there are a lot of people who don't get a shot at Riot or Blizzard or, you know, some of these big AAA studios. So they opt to make their own thing. And, you know, if they, you know, make a hit, now someone's going to notice them and be like, hey, do you want to start a studio? Like we'll get you 10 head counts so you can make the next big thing. I hope that there's like, some sort of like responsible investment that starts happening. Maybe some of these AAA studios. I know like Riot does some, you know, advising or investment in underrepresented creators. So, you know, I'm seeing the start of it. I just want to make sure that it does end up investing in products that mean a lot to people. You know, I think there's you know, just with any new tech specifically, not just games, there's a desire to like have that gold rush mentality. It's like, oh, this is a shooting star and I want to like make my money quick games aren't made that way like you know especially the games that are built to last if we're talking development cycles we're looking at like five to seven years before a game hits the market and that's optimistic we all know production challenges and delays and people leave and stuff so it's really hard to make sure that people stay honest but like just trust like this is going to take a lot of time and money and effort but then the roi on the back end is huge where we get into trouble is no 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 like i want my money back sooner rather than later so instead of five years you need to ship in two and a half and then you have, you know, a half-baked game that people actually don't like and it fails for all the wrong reasons. Okay. Yeah, no, that's definitely that's definitely good insight and definitely good context of like kind of like what's going on and what we have to look forward to in the industry is mm-hmm. definitely exciting. I mean, for you personally, what are some things that you would say are exciting for you? Like, what are you looking forward to in the future? I really enjoy working on titles that are kind of like lifetime games. You know, even though I worked on World of Warcraft for about a year, well, I call it 2018 to 2019. 
and I don't work at Blizzard anymore, I'm still a WoW player. Like I have my community that I built up over the years and continue to raid every Tuesday with and look forward to all the patch notes coming out. So I think there's the sense of community around games that is really exciting. And you know, I'll just say thank you, Marvel, to make it cool to be like nerdy and stuff. So, you know, games are kind of latching onto those tailwinds. You think about not just the games themselves, but like shows like Arcane and shows like The Last of Us. Like these are global hits you know global phenomena it's like all right the community is growing and leveling up and evolving so being a gamer as part of your identity has much more variety in how it manifests rather than it just being this niche like oh he's in his basement playing stuff so i think that you know kind of the the social element of gaming really excites me and i do think that it leads to a lot of creativity within games themselves why you play a game why you spend money on game you know if i'm able to signal like i'm a league of legends player and i have some merch you know like a poster on the wall or whatever and then you know in the game it's like oh like because i know i spend a hundred hours in a year playing this game it actually makes sense to spend money here because i feel like i'm getting my value like you know working in monetization like i do that's the kind of core philosophy we try and hit on is it's not about how much you spend. It's when you do spend, are you excited with what you get back? And if that answer is no, we're doing something wrong and we need to improve. But I think for a lot of people, you know, for whatever reason you monetize, you want to show off, you want to show your pride in the esports team, or you want to show the effort that you put in in order to earn like, you know, some super cool skin, being able to cater to those needs. Again, we're talking about meeting needs a lot understanding what those are for players and being able to say like that guy is super cool like he hit your know, rank one last season and that's why he has the crazy title above his head that is like a social element too and like the better we get at that the more exciting games themselves are and that's what keeps people coming back what would you say are some like parting words of wisdom that you would give folks obviously there are a lot of different avenues and angles that you could slice this one from mm-hmm. but for folks who we're in consulting, right? For people who are interested in gaming, uh, for people who are interested in uh, monetization in gaming or switching their actual roles from being in industry, but switching their roles in the industry. What are some like words of wisdom that you get? Yeah, I think the first thing is when we talk about working on your passion, I think the number one tip I give everybody is don't turn your brain off when engaging with that passion. So in the lens of games, like, yeah, I could probably play World of Warcraft for, you know, three or four hours a day and just like be a player. But if I want to work in that space, I need to think about what is it that keeps me playing three or four hours a day? Like, what are my goals? What excites me? The people who work in those spaces are asking those questions. So if you can come in to an interview or, you know, if you're pivoting within the company, coming to those spaces with answers in mind and they they don't have to be right it's just your perspective but it signals like oh this person cares deeply and they want to improve it i think that is like a really big first step like being able to critically examine their passions and like and be so invested they want to see other people have that passion too and level it up so I think there's like a, an intention piece to it. I think if we're talking about if it's, you know, either from outside the industry, that makes a lot of sense. You know, hey, like, why is this consultant want to work on WoW? Like, okay, well, I actually think about it all the time. Like that, you know, helps a lot bridge that gap. You know, I got a lot of those questions as well when I was making my pivot. But I think within games, if you're looking to pivot, you know, between roles or disciplines, finding someone that you can talk to in those spaces. And I, I had this conversation with a coworker the other day about, I had someone asking me about moving into engineering. I, I forget if that was an actual example, but making sure that's where you want to go 
like doing your research, you know, if you say like, oh, I want to write code, it's like, do you really understand what comes with that? You know, like, do you want to be, you know, fixing bugs and doing all this, like whatever, like the role entails, making sure you have someone in that space to like explain what they do. So you're like, oh, actually, like, that's not what I'm passionate about. I thought it was this other thing and they can point you in the right direction. It kind of goes down to like, again, like figuring out what energizes you and narrowing those bands rather than just throwing a dart at a dartboard and hoping it lands where you want it to. Well, there you have it, y'all. Austin, thank you so much for sharing all that wisdom with us, man. Yeah, I really enjoyed the conversation. Awesome. Yeah, no, this was really great. This is really good. And thank you all for tuning in. Please remember to like and subscribe for more. Most importantly, pivot powerfully. Be well, everyone. Take care.